hello, welcome to another Bedford Blues podcast, and it's another away trip. I'm absolutely delighted to have with me on this away trip a very recognisable figure of Bedford Blues, a man who always wears his heart on his sleeve in a blue shirt. I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Brendan Burke. Hello, Brendan, how are you? How are you, Sam? I'm great, thanks. Good, good, good. And this away trip, you know the deal? Three songs, I a do. book, a little bit of a, a discussion about your rugby odyssey, as it were. Music? Is that something that comes easy to you? Are you um, someone who has to have music? I am and I'm not. Um, definitely do listen to a bit of music, but it's not chart-topping music, as you could say. Um, I do like my Irish music, which would be... probably My three favourite artists would be probably Van Morrison, old-school stuff, uh, U2. Um, probably an artist most people over here would know is Damien Dempsey. Um, they're probably the three artists I, I always listen to when I go on away trips. And is music a big part of uh, the rugby build-up for you on a game day? Um, sometimes it is, um, especially for an away game, because it's such a most most trips are quite about two three hours long. You kind of have to have a bit of music on it. But for home games, I don't really listen to much music at all. Interesting. We'll talk more about music <laughs> in a bit. We're going to start way back when, really, and talk about you. Unfortunately, I can tell that you're quite a humble chap and it's a bit difficult. We're going to try and get you to put across where you've come from and what you see, what you've done. Um, let's go right back to the family. Where, when were you born? What was the date of your birth? Oh, long, long time ago. First uh, of October, 81. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was born uh, in Dublin, but I lived all my life in, um, in Kildare, which is just a small little uh, county just outside Dublin. Uh, right on the border of Dublin, basically. And what was it like growing up for you? Uh, it was great, actually. Um, I had quite a big family, so I had four brothers and a sister. Um, and the estate I lived in was a, was basically all my friends uh, about my age, and we were all very sporty. So every day we'd, we'd play football, rugby, tennis, anything, basically, on the streets. So basically that's where we just... We, we, we were a very sporty family. My, my parents were sporty. So, just basically from there, we just all, we always played sport, and that was it. And were you the eldest, youngest, middle? I was second youngest, so I, I kind of had to look after myself, basically, with all the older brothers, and the sister was probably definitely the worst, without a shadow of a doubt. I think anyone, anyone that knew our family would know that my sister was the one that basically controlled us all. <laughs> and she influenced the sport in what way? Was she leading the sport as well? Uh, she was. Like She, she, she was a very... Uh, very athletic uh, she played quite a lot of Kamoe which is hurling which is the female hurling sport she played quite a lot of that she played football later on in life then she played rugby which I don't think she really liked <laughs> but she did she, she always did you know, she always played a sport and that was it and what about your sport when did you start to think about um, things as far as professional sport was concerned was it something that you always had in your mind or was it just um, something that grew organically no, well, it was quite hard to honestly because up to I was Probably about 17, 18, I, I still always had, you know, I, I played rugby and I played a lot of Gaelic football. Um, and then when I was 18, 19, I had a choice then. I had to go pretty much professional rugby, which is at the academy, the Irish Academy, or basically take up Gaelic football. Um, and I have to admit, now, it was a very hard decision. Most people say, no, you should always go straight for rugby. But, you know, Gaelic football, all my mates played it. Uh, it was very popular at that time. Kildare were doing really well, and Kildare came and asked me, "Did I want to play with them?" And I kind of it was a fifty-fifty choice, and I kind of lucky enough, I did end up taking taking a rugby. But I still always would wonder what would happen if I did take up the Gaelic football. 
It's a sport not dissimilar to rugby in its way. I mean, there's a lot of people listening that won't perhaps appreciate the sport. No, Explain it in, in a way, if you can. Well, it's it's not a it's not a full time sport, but yet they train more than probably any full time rugby team would train. And these boys have jobs, nine to five jobs, then train five six days a week on top of that. Uh, they don't get paid for it. They and you know, and they play in front of maybe you know. All Ireland final day in Crow Park is what eighty five, ninety thousand people. Leinster final, you know, they had seventy, seventy five thousand, and yet they still don't get paid, which is very, it's a huge shame they don't get paid. But I can still see why they don't get paid as well, because it's a traditional Irish game, and they never ever got paid. So, but for a sport that way, it's I'm trying to think how they describe. It's kind of like in between of rugby and. Football, <laughs> Aussie rules, everything kind of mixed together. It's just a, it's a fantastic sport. I really, really enjoy playing it as well. The Irish as well, they love their sport. They yeah. get behind it. You mentioned the crowds there, and it's easy. You know, It's easy to get that sort of amount of people yeah. because they just love it. Talk about that growing up and going to watch sport. You must have watched your fair share as well. Yeah, well, a lot of sport. You know, I, I, I remember you know, in my first game watching... Ireland against England, Lance and Roland, I think. <clears throat> I remember, uh, I think it was Eric Miller's, you know, later on in life, actually played on it. It was one of his first games for Ireland. I'll never forget, I was just standing like, only stones hold away from the pitch, and it was just such an atmosphere. And then, ever since then, you just get hooked in the game. And then, you know, you go and watch Gaelic football and hurling, you watch the semi final. I remember watching Clare play Galway in an All Ireland final, and it was unbelievable atmosphere. And you know, you're just, you're just willing, you'd love to play in that, in that atmosphere. Let's talk about school very briefly. Were you, were you good at school? Were you a standout student? I was a sport person. <laughs> I think that just says it all. Um, school was, in, uh, I, didn't, I didn't go to, a, I went to a public school. Um, I went to a place called Clostercure, which is only a two minute walk from my house. Um, all the family went there, I went there, friends, everyone went there. Uh, really good school. Uh, I had an absolutely fantastic time there. Uh, played quite a lot of sport, but unfortunately I didn't play rugby, which is unfortunate. I played Gaelic football and I played soccer with them. Um, but it was a really, really great school. and no complaints whatsoever. <laughs> and how did rugby then play its part? If, if you weren't playing it at school, were you? when did you first get introduced to rugby? I think it's, kind of, it's strange because I think if you ask different parts of my family, they give you different stories. But, um, What's your story? Uh, well, from what I remember was basically uh, we were out in the out in our street playing football, and uh, a neighbour of ours was a big rugby man, and he was going up to a rugby club, and just said, "Listen, do you want to come up for a Saturday?" And we said, "Yeah," <laughs> and that was it, <laughs> just pure by accident. We just had, and ever since then, that was it. Uh, one of my brothers went up following week, another one, another one, another one. The next thing, you had a whole gang of Burks up there. <laughs> he couldn't get rid of us. <laughs> Uh, was it love at first sight then? Was it as yeah, soon as you started to play the game you thought as soon as, I got, as soon as I started touching the ball I just loved the the contact just I just absolutely loved it. Um I think I was I think I might have been about six I think when I, when I first got up there and I just loved it. And the whole family every Saturday morning we'd go up there and uh, you know Baron Hall which is my, my club at that stage it was just a wooden shack they had no clubhouse nothing and I think I was too scared to go in because there used to be rats and mice used to just be crawling around the place and that was our changing room We'd, and you know I've no complaints I absolutely loved it and I think you know when I look back at them them days it was just brilliant really really enjoyed the game at that stage and what about 
the rugby future that you were then to have? I mean, how did that manifest itself? When, when did you start to think, or when did somebody come and ask you whether rugby was going to be a serious future for yourself? Well, you got to think that them days, I think rugby was professional. It was just an amateur sport. Um, so all, all through my life, I didn't even think about it. I just wanted to play rugby and that was it. I didn't care who it was or anything. Um, but I just played age group all the way through Barn Hall. Uh, started young, played all the way up. Uh, and then 18s, Leinster came in. You played under 18s, Leinster played under 18s. Didn't think much of it. And all, all I wanted to do was play Barn Hall first team. And that was it. If I could do that, I'd be happy days. That I'd be, that'd be me. I'd be thrilled. Um, I think I, I had my first cap with Barnhall first team at 17. Uh, we were playing Bective Rangers, which was one of the top teams at that stage. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Alan Rowland was refereeing. It was his first internet. It was his first refereeing game. So that game, that game made a just had a huge influence on me. Um, played that game in the following year. Then I played again. Played first team rugby ever since then, and that was it. I just wanted to play play rugby. Uh, from there was under nine, Leinster under nineteens, Leinster twenty ones. Uh, played Irish youths, Irish nineteens, Irish sevens, and just it was, I, was, I was with my club all the way through that, and I didn't even wasn't even thinking about full time rugby at all until um, I think it was my second year with the senior squad or with Barn Hall. Uh, they came. The IRFU had a, an academy set up, an IRFU National Academy, which was basically, it was a three-year contract, uh, and they'd pick maybe ten boys from around the country, and that's your year group, and you do your three years, and lucky enough I did that. Uh, you know, I think, when you think the group I was with, and the group that were ahead of me, and ahead of me that, it was just, it was unbelievable. Um, you know, my group was Paul O'Connell, Shane Jennings, uh, I could keep going on and on. There's like last year ahead of me was Darcy, year ahead of me was O'Driscoll, Mick O'Driscoll, Brian O'Driscoll, uh, Paddy Wallace was there, uh, Stringer was there, O'Gara was the year before. <laughs> and this just goes on and on and on. And then each, each year group, you just <clears throat> it was unfortunate the way it worked out was that because we didn't, we only we only met up for in the summer, then at Christmas, we had three weeks together, and that three weeks was just. You're playing with these boys, it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> this is unbelievable. I can't believe I have a chance to do this. And then, you know, the following week, you see them playing with national rugby. It's just, it's just unbelievable. It's just, that was one of the best when, for rugby boys. That was just so enjoyable. Let's talk music then. On this imaginary away trip that you're going on, you've got this very faulty iPod that only yeah. allows you to store three tracks or three songs. What's your first track? What, what, what's the first song that you take with you on your away trip? Um, it's got to be probably Van Morrison, Brown and Girl. Absolutely love that song. Um, it just, I, I don't know why, I, I really don't know why. I think, I think, I just, I don't know. I just absolutely love that song for some reason. <laughs> An artist obviously uh, intrinsically linked with Ireland and, and everything that went with it. Was it a big part of, of what you were growing up? Does it re- remind you of your, of your, of your, of your childhood, I, as I it were? I don't think so. I, um... I think I don't know why. I think it was because maybe my brother and my sister used to love love Van Morrison. He was just constantly playing, and then uh, ever since then, I just that song used to always be in my head, and that was it. And I just love. I, I really do like Van Morrison. I just for some reason, Brown Eyed Girl is just one of them songs. It's just when you hear it, it's just like I think it's a it's a mood lifter. Mm-hmm. 
it always picks you up. Hey, where did we go? Days when the rains came Down in the hollow Playing a new game Laughing and running, hey, hey Skipping and jumping In the misty morning fog with Oh, a heart's a-thumping And you, a brown-eyed girl Tuesday and so slow Gone down the old man with a transistor radio So let's go back to rugby. That was Brown Eyed Girl by Van Morrison. But let's go back to rugby. And uh, you mentioned about that, that Leinster grouping and that sort of what has recently been referred to, I suppose, as, as, as the big Irish dynasty that, that, is, that is now sort of coming to fruition or coming to its, its top at, at, at the recent World Cup. It must have been incredible to be involved in, in, in with, with, with the group of individuals and to be looking around you, as you say, and sort of thinking, wow, there's some, there's some good rugby players. Yeah, they were all right, you know. <laughs> I thought I was holding my own. Um, yeah, it was really good, but the only problem was that we didn't spend that much time together, which was a big shame uh, because of the, the academy. It was such a short block. But then, you know, um, I remember... I think it was only still in 21, 22 and I got a call up to play for Leinster and that was uh, the old provincial championship and then we played Connacht and uh, like I was only very young still was very raw as a player and Leinster came knocking and Matt Williams was the coach at that stage and he says you know if you're short players would you be interested in sitting on the bench I was like uh, yeah sure why not what else to do <laughs> So we played Connacht down in uh, the sports ground I got 20 minutes and it was amazing, mm-hmm. absolutely amazing. You know, these players are just you're in awe. When you're playing against these other players, you know, this, this isn't right. A lot of people talk about the step up from league to league and set up to set up. Playing provincial rugby um, for Leinster must have seemed like a hundred miles an hour difference from, from what you played previously. Yeah. Is, that, is that the main thing when you step up to that sort of um, level? The speed of the game? Well, the speed and just how much detail they think about the game. That's what shocked me, was just how every little bit of the game is in detail. And you're supposed to do this, 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 and it's so structured. And then when I was playing, you know, I think it was, I think I was playing Division 3 All-Ireland, which is well down the leagues. And so that was just, just we would just you know, have a go and see what happens kind of thing. Whereas in, with Leinster, it was just so structured. But, you know, that's, that's the way the game is now. And when you think about it, that was seven, eight years ago, and they were that structured then, and then, you know, now it's just a part of the game now. What happened subsequent then? You sort of tried to forge your way into that um, Leinster setup. Yeah, well, I had that cap. Uh, so I think I was only, I was only actually nineteen, twenty, I think, when I got the first cap, and then I had two more years playing with, with Barn Hall and so and so, and then. Uh, they asked me to come in and train with them. Lens come in and train basically as a basically a development player. Uh, I just finished my apprenticeship as an electrician, so it was quite good that it worked out that time. Uh, so you should train during, I trained during the summer, did quite well in the, in, in the pre-season and stuff like that. And then we had some pre-season games 
uh, played Gloucester and Northampton uh, did quite well and then the first it was actually the first as you call it now it was the Pro 12 or whatever you call it it was, I think it was Celtic League at that stage first Celtic League game was against Munster in Donnybrook which is a nice one to get <laughs> and I got the starting position on the wing that day uh, which was an absolute thrill and then I think it was one of my first touches I scored so you know <laughs> it was happy days you know I was just I was still only young and I was you know I was I think I was still weighing like 78 kilos which is like nowadays I don't think you'd even you wouldn't come anywhere near that weight you know uh, so I was only a small little nipper but you know I just loved it absolutely loved it and what a game to sort of get that baptism and the, the yeah, Munster-Leinster rivalry is probably one of the fiercest in rugby isn't it it was unbelievable you know and, and when, I've never played in a game like that before and I you know the atmosphere and I never forget it was I ran into a tackle and I think Dave Quinlan was one side caught me and big Jim Williams got me the other side and these boys absolutely pummeled me, but I absolutely love this. It's just you can't get better than this, you know. And, and As I you're being be, driven into oh, the ground, into the ground. <laughs> and these hands of Jim Williams, they were like shovels. <laughs> just caught me. I was like, oh, this is gonna be sore. But you know, that's what, you know. You have a chance to do it. You gotta do it. And I absolutely loved it. But you know, I gave as good as I could. To be honest, it probably didn't hurt as bad as for them, but. How did it progress then? How did you find yourself? Because obviously, ultimately, there was a move across the water. How did that manifest itself? Yeah, well, I, I signed I signed a deal with Lancer. It was a three-year deal. Uh, first year, I got I played quite a lot of games. Uh, I was in this, I was the same position as Dennis Hickey. Uh, Dennis was away for the World Cup and then got injured. I think he was an Achilles tendon. I think he ruptured. So he was out for pretty much the whole season. So it worked out, you know, Unfortunate for Dennis, but you know, lucky enough for me, I was there. I started quite a lot of games, uh, played Heineken Cup, um, played quite a lot of Celtic League, so it was really good. Uh, so, and then we had, it was quite unfortunate because the three years I was with Leinster, we had three different coaches, which is you know, for a Magnus League or even an Irish province, have that it's really really hard. So we had three coaches, three completely different coaches, so. You know, it was very hard for me to get stable, and you know, and injury-wise, it just I just struggled big time. Uh, first year really good, second year I was pretty much injured for the whole season. Uh, I had a bad groin problem, and unfortunately they couldn't diagnose it and kept me out for the whole season. Uh, then third year, uh, I basically had a year out, came back, and there was a new coach there, so I was trying to get back in fitness, and you know. We had a couple of lads coming through, which was, you know, we had, uh, Gary Brown, who's a fantastic player, and Carney was coming through, and, you know, you had all these boys just constantly coming through, and unfortunately I had a year out, and that just left me down the pecking order, so third year I wasn't getting much game time, and I just told him it might have been a good idea to basically just call it quits and see what would happen if I went over here and played a bit rugby, so, um, basically I had an, a- of an agent, and he said, you know, Robin, we're looking at you. Would you be interested? And I, I had a look, and I, I thought it was a good move for me, and you know, and end up over here. Then that was it. How much did you know about Rotherham? Very little, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, it was a very kind of uh, they're here looking at you. Would you be interested? And I was like, I don't know, I don't know. And eventually, then I just, I just said, listen, no one else is looking at me. I said, I'll, you know, decided this go back and then go back in the, on the side. 
and so I was sitting around, rather than here we come. And that was it. I didn't. I wasn't even too sure where I was, and didn't know. I knew I'd lead the work, trying to kept, kept an eye on their scores and stuff like that. And that that was it. That's all I knew about them really. Who was in charge at Rotherham at the time? Um, Andre Vester was in charge on stage. He must have been landing in, in the UK, landing at a club like Rotherham. You, you, you must have had a little bit of a baptism of fire to a certain extent. Yeah, it was, it was good because the team Andre actually made up was quite, was quite good. There was a lot of South Africans and a lot, a lot of Irish, which mm-hmm. like, you know, a few of the boys actually played with and played against. So it was quite good. I knew, I knew a few of the boys. And it was a really, really good team spirit. Really, really good. Like, you, I can't fault them whatsoever. It was... I really enjoyed my time out there. People there were fantastic. Playing was just brilliant. I really, I, I just can't express how much I enjoyed it out there. And it, the morale was just unbelievable. We just so much fun every time we went out on the pitch. We enjoyed ourselves. We were playing good rugby, and you know, just really good bunch of lads. And on and off the pitch, were just fantastic people. And playing up at Rotherham in a very particular home ground isn't it up there it's a, it's a nice place to sort of yeah, sort of well, make your own make your own castle as it were yeah well, we had such a strong side that day you know that year and you know I, th- I think our top try score was our was our penalty tries <laughs> <laughs> and I think we just we should dominate people in the scrums and then we had a really really strong back line at the back and we, you know we could play as well so people used to just think you know the big pack their backs are not too much we had some really really good backs and you know I think if, if you look through that season, we scored some fantastic tries at the backs. With really good hands and stuff like that. So, but the pitch up there, it's difficult because people don't understand it at all. And I think you've got to understand that pitch before you go up there. Especially for a 10 or a 15. If you don't understand that pitch, you're going to struggle massively. Um, and I think when I was there, I, I got used to it very quickly. It suited me down to the ground because the left footer playing down that, that slope just suited me to the ground. Let's talk about music again. Second song, second track. Easy one to find? No. <laughs> well, the artist is definitely you too. Um, but I think based on anything from Joshua Tree or I think, um, but I think probably the streets have no name from you too. Love the song. Just another one of them mood lifters, you know. As soon as you hear it, and then it, it, also the video as well. When you look at the video, it's a fantastic video. It's just. You just got a smile. It gives you tingles down your, down your spine and stuff like that. So it's a fantastic song. It's an absolutely fantastic video as well. discussing all the joys of uh, growing up in Ireland, coming through the Irish ranks and then 
your first season over at Rotherham. What happened then subsequently with you and, and, and where it went? Because obviously there, there must have been a need for you to or want for you to, to move on. Um, well, we were halfway through the season, basically, with Rotherham. Um, I'd only signed a one-year deal with, with Rotherham, so it was coming to negotiations. Um, so there was... And at that course, it's, it's the crazy time of the year, I think, where people... I don't think people understand is that you only got one year contract. You got to find another another club or another another place to play. Uh, so I'd only signed a one year deal. It was coming to an end at the end of that season. So uh, my agent had me basically just uh, meeting other clubs and stuff like that. And I think rather than play Bedford um, in a league game. And the following after the game, the my agent introduced me to Mike Rare. We had a chat. Nothing really about next year. We just just an, uh, a meeting up and that was it. Uh, rather than heard about our best and Andre Best heard about him, wasn't too happy about him. From there, basically, he he decided that I was not needed again in in Rotherham. Uh, basically, he thought that I was backstabbing the team that I was leaving them. But it was unfortunate because I wasn't doing that. I would I would I think I would have if Rotherham had offered me a, another contract that time. I probably would have stayed there. Um, I don't think I would have left. Uh, but you know that's the way it goes. It was unfortunate because I had to leave a place that I really, really enjoyed. I thought like a lot of the lads there were, were good, really good friends of mine. Uh, made some really nice friends up there. Um, even the people off the pitch, you know, I used to think they were half of most of them were my family. You know, and I had to leave halfway through the season, which was really, really hard. But you know that's the way it goes. And you know, if I didn't, if I, you know. Things happen on the end with them bed for them for the rest of the year. Talking about moves and agents and that time of year, I mean, I, you talk to a lot of players, you talk to management. It's it's the bane of, of most seasons, isn't it? Yeah. Is there anything that can be done? Is there any sort of solution to it? I mean, or is it just the way that, that, that the sport is at the moment? Is it one of the things, I suppose a good question would be, is it one of the things that perhaps professionality has really sort of changed? Well, what you've what you got to think is that in rugby you don't get your six or seven year deals you see in football, American football and stuff like that. You don't get that. You only get your one year deals. So it's very hard. And, and when you think about that, especially in this league, is that you get, we're not all full time. Some of us are part time. Some of us got jobs inside. So if the club were to not renew a contract, that means we'd have to leave Bedford and get another job somewhere else. So that's very difficult for us and difficult for the club as well. They can't, we, you know, you can't give them, you can't give lads four or five year deals. It's just not, it's just not in the right. So it is, it's just a horrible, horrible time of year. And the sooner it gets done, the better. That's what I always say. Is that then you can just concentrate in the season. That's it done. Get that out of your head. But when it's playing in the back of players' minds and stuff like that, it does cause a lot of problems. And it does cause a lot of problems with the team as well. And the thing about rugby is that. Especially in this in this league, we've got a small small squad. So if a player has been told that he's been let go, he's not going to be happy, and the people that are around him are not going to be happy. So then that drags down the the atmosphere in the team. Whereas in football, you can do the old tevas and just like train him off, let him let him let him let him away and coach train on his own. But you can't do that in rugby because you need the players to support the other team. So there's not much really you can do about the the end of the year transfers and stuff like that. There's very, very little you can do and it's a really, really bad part of the game but it has to be done. 
So halfway through the season, you landed in Bedford. What was your first impression of the town and the club? I was, I was kind of, I'm not actually sure what I was thinking because I only, I remember arriving. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday. I think it was a, I think it was a Wednesday. I think I arrived. Uh, I had a team run on a Thursday, and then started against Coventry on the Saturday. <laughs> so that was like okay, and then I, 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 I really didn't know and what the the club was about and stuff like. That. But Mike. I think uh, we went for a few drinks on the Saturday night after the game, and Mike took me around the club and showed me the history and stuff, the history of the club. And I met a lot of a lot of the supporters and the committee members and stuff. And basically, ever since then, that was it. Just fell in love with the club, loved the people around the club, loved it. I loved how the club was run. That's basically what I I enjoy most. It's a it's a non-professional club, the way it's run, with with like. Uh, you know Paula, Baz, Nas, all these people that, that just run the club basically, and uh, and it's it's in a professional era, and these are people you know you, when you're in in bigger clubs you just don't see these people you just don't see them at all and in Bedford you can see them you meet them day in day out and it's really good to the, to introduce yourself especially when new people come along it's really good to introduce yourself to them because they're the ones that run the club. And in your first half season. <clears throat> How did the Blues do? How did you do? Um, I think I, I, my first game was Coventry, uh, which was, it was interesting. I think it was a horrible, horrible day. It was in Coventry as well, which was just disgusting. Is, is, are there good days in Coventry? I don't, I don't I'm not know. sure if there are. I don't think so. That day it wasn't anyway. It was, I think it was a half, an in, a half a foot of mud and it was just disgusting. I think I started on the wing as well that day. Where was that? Was that the old... Um, no, no, that was in the new, the new place. Oh, was it? Yeah, it wasn't. It was just a horrible, horrible ground. Uh, and then the next game, I think it was Otley. Otley, I think it was, I started on the wing again. I, got, I, scored, I scored two tries in that game. And then I think it was just basically on the wing for most of the games. And come to the end of the day, I ended up uh, playing 15... Uh, I think we just finished mid-table I think at the end of that year um, I think they just the week before I arrived I think they'd just been knocked out of the cup by Exeter I think you know, at the time it was Golden Point or Troy scored or something that I was think it. it was 13 all at home and it was yeah. the away side that went through That's I think that was the rule yeah. 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 I so remember that match I think I, I arrived the following week so there was a bit of a downer going on around the club but I think you know, that's the way it goes I think. <laughs> third song Back to music. Yeah. Does it get any easier choosing these? No. <laughs> uh, it's an Irish artist, which is. I don't think many people have ever heard of him. Or, I think he's a fantastic artist. He sings. Kind of, I don't know. It's very traditional music, but very patriotic as well. Um, and he does have a very. Uh, how would you say? Strange type of music. Uh, so it's probably Damien Dempsey uh, and the song is called Colony I sing the song of the colony how many years and you still were not free and your mother cries and you ask God why greed is the knife and the scars run deep how many races we might reason to weep and your children cry? Oh, you ask God why? And he 
she came from Dunlavin town The TB came and killed her family all around Population boom Eleven in two rooms Katie, she came from downtown Dan Street Ten in a bed, on no shoes on their feet Nineteen sixteen came They played the Patriot game Freddy came from the Ivey Flats Tenement slums and infested with rats Sleeping on damp straw Try not to break their law Thomas, he came from Kilmaine in Mayo Semi-starvation was the only life you'd know In a two-room shack Then jailed and let her frack when would you be listening to Damien Dempsey? Is it, is, it, is it a particular time of the day, time of the week? Is it something that you, you use, you, you go to? Is it a piece of music that you like to listen to uh, at a certain I do, time? I, I do like it. Um, I do listen to it before games, especially when I'm just, I think, we're about half an hour away from the, from the away games. I do like to listen to him. Um, I do like his music, and I'm, you know, I've, I've seen him a few times play. Uh, I've seen him actually play live in, in, um, in London, and I brought a few boys down when I, I brought... Marco Chacheri and Liam Roberts down with me and I don't think, honestly I don't think they knew what was going on <laughs> but I think they really enjoyed it though put it that way <laughs> we were talking about first sort of full season or the half season that you, you had with the Blues and, 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 and coming in you've constantly been under the tutelage of, of Mike Rea and you've come through and seen it happen over the last three years and there's been a change isn't there you've played in some great sides but how have you seen what's happened and, and can you tell how it's happened? It's hard, but what I think was that it's consistency behind the behind the team. Um, I think if you can keep that core of management and backroom staff, it makes a huge difference on the pitch because then you got <clears throat> you got coaches knowing the players and you got players knowing the coaches. And that's the main reason why I think Bedford keep on uh, doing well. Because you've got Mike Rare as the director staying there over the last five years I think if you look at the stats over the last especially four or five years it's consistently getting better and better and better and that's simply because we've got a, a consistent backroom staff that know the players Has your role changed over the last few years? Um, I don't think so <laughs> I could be wrong um, I mean, you know it's it's difficult because I started off in the wing first then 15 then 13 Back to Here's a quick question for you. Is there any place on the pitch that you haven't played across that back line? I don't think there is, I don't is think there? there is, no. No, not yet. <laughs> I think I've gone seven at one stage for a scrum. <laughs> oh, I think Martin Hines would love this, and I actually think that the scrum went forward as well. That scrum was extremely well. <laughs> well maybe he'll make some notes. You know. um, what's been the secret of, of your success? Because you, you have been successful. You mentioned, obviously, about the different positions but I would I would see you as a as a sort of wing three quarter fullback at the moment certainly and, and you you do still have the ability to set light to a match uh, in the best possible way is that something that's always been in your game that ability to go looking for the gap and find yeah, it it's looking but I I always thought my, um, my defence was always the <clears throat> the main thing about my game um I really enjoy defending. That's the one I really enjoy. Um, and I always say to players that our attackers are 
a defence is the best way to attack because simple. If you get a turnover in attack or in defence, that's when you get tagged. So it's it's scattered defence and you can really, really pick off players. Not so much in the try scoring, but the way that you score the try kills off a yeah, I position. Think, I think if you look at games now, is that everything is so structured. But then suddenly when you turn over a ball, it's everything's frantic and that's when you can pick off players. So if you have a really good defence and then you just turn over that ball, that's when you that's when the game opens up. And then that's what we we got to work our, work a lot more on this year is that when we turn over a ball, we got to got nearly always score tries, and that's what we got to look at now as well. So we're going to be a really really big threat when we turn over that ball. You've got some strong friendships in the club, young master James Pritchard, a good friend of yours. Must be nice to have that as well as the rugby sort of going on. Must yeah, be nice. it was good. I always say the stories that I never forget. When my first trip away was was Coventry. And I sat in the bus and I sat beside Pritch. And for the whole trip there and back, he didn't say one word to me. <laughs> Not one word to me. And, then, and I was like, what the hell have I done to this fella? And then I think I never forget then about, uh, about a month later, he goes, listen, I'm buying my own house. Would you be interested in moving in? I said, that's the first word you said to me. <laughs> so I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> but then later on, you know, Myself and Pritch being really good friends, living for four, four or five years. I'm his, god, uh, I'm his godfather for his child. Um, you know, he lives two doors up from me now, and you know, just I've met his whole family now, and just really, really, really good friend of mine. Now. It's what rugby, I suppose, is all about. When yeah. all the when all the bashing and the boshing yeah. has been done, it is. It is like it's the best thing about rugby. I think any I'm never forget it when people used to say to me is that rugby is like so many contacts you meet so many people and you know you're always you, you know you can go along and you can beat each other up in that pitch but after a game it's just chat you can have a chat you can meet each other years down the line you're still going to know each other and you still have a chat we don't do that in other sports that's the best thing about rugby is that you can actually really meet people that you know you don't mind meeting for a beer if they give you a call or have any problems you want to have any contacts that's what rugby is all about Final two questions. Are you a book person or a film person? If if you could take either with you oh, on an away it's trip. It's difficult because I, at the moment I'm reading a, an autobiography uh, and I am a really, really big film person. But uh, I don't know. At, at the moment I'm really, really enjoying this autobiography. I'm reading um, Paul McGrath's autobiography, which I'm reading at the moment. And I... I I can't remember the last book I've read. <laughs> so this is this is the one that I'm reading at the moment. I'm really, really enjoying it. And an extra little but one, you mentioned sitting on a bus for a long time yeah. next to somebody who doesn't talk. But if you had to have someone sat next to you, I mean, if it would be anyone in the world, any any sporting icon, a lot of people have chosen sporting icons to sit next to. Some people have chosen their dearest friends. Would there, would there be someone that you'd like to sit next to in the world? <laughs> Believe it or not, at the moment, I'm still sitting beside Pritch. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> but he's, he's saying the odd word now to me. It's good day or, or I might. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know, I don't think it changes now at the moment. I think I'm, pr- I'm pretty happy with Sydney's side bridge. He's not messy, he doesn't eat my food. <laughs> he stays to himself, I'm happy days. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, look, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, de- delving into your background and hearing all about it. It's absolutely fascinating. Good luck with everything you're, you're going to be doing in the future. I hope it stays blue. I know you'll always be welcome back at the Blues for as long as you live. 
Brendan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.